Hello and welcome to Crystal Myth Podcast. This is our new season. I think it's our 12th season right. starting off on. And we're continuing Unsolved Murders because I didn't get awarded edgeways last night. No, I, <laughs> <laughs> I was really interested about the Julia Wallace murder. Um, we didn't really get any psychic messages. I mean, Andy McEwen reached out and said, uh, is this a psychic message? And I went, well, I guess well, not really because you're on Twitter. But I said, well, I predict that you want more unsolved murders. And I was right. So here we are. <laughs> so you were the psychic all along? Well, I'm like the psychic detective. I know what people want. I know what um, I know what have feelings about things. They are the fact. What? I'm glad that we are doing this as a second part, though, because we would have. Mm. Last episode would have been eight years long otherwise, because it was four years long, if I remember well, Yeah, see, the problem is there's so many unsolved murders, sadly, that we could just do an entire season on, on unsolved murders. Like, we could do every episode on an unsolved murder, but then we wouldn't really be Crystal Myth anymore, would we? We'd be <laughs> Crystal Unsolved Murder. <laughs> Agreed, though, even, like, I read about yeah. another unsolved murder that I found really interesting while I was away, and I thought I could do another like two hour long episode on this. Don't worry, I didn't do any oh, research did on you... it. I'm just gonna let you do yours. Let's <laughs> did you get the link I sent? Well, it wasn't really a link. I tagged you in a Facebook um, thing. It was about this stone that apparently is cursed. I think we should do something. Yes, I messaged you back, but I know someone Facebook is... doesn't tell you when you message people back on yeah. things. Yeah, it's fucking mad, isn't it? Like, I it's want really to there. I yeah. messaged you back and said I want to go and dig it up. Yeah, well, so did loads of other people, but I think that would be risky, Mark, because it, it might end our lives if we try and dig it up, because that's what's happened to people trying to destroy it. No, I don't want to dig it up to destroy it. I want stone. to dig it up. Like, I want it to be free. Yeah, but I even think that's it. a risk. Nah. That's what the stone wants. It wants us to dig it up. Does it now? It does. But I, I worry that if we slightly damage it stuff. in the process, it will get pissed off and decide to put a curse on us. So we might have to do some sort of ritual beforehand to try and dig it up <laughs> so that we protect ourselves from the evil or whatever. Maybe it will sense that we're good cunts and, and won't kill us. It might know our intentions. Yeah. Sorry, I tried to eat the crunchy crisp with Mammy oh, the Crunchiness. He is so eating salt, salty and Chardonnay crisps. Have you ever heard the likes of that? That's I haven't heard of them before I bought them. They're absolutely amazing. I don't know. It, it just doesn't sound. I was going to say it's my recommendation of the week, as though that's a thing. That we do. <laughs> Is that what we're going to do now? We recommend some crisps every episode. <laughs> I mean, that <laughs> might be a bit difficult for an international listeners that don't have a fucking ASDA to go and get them. Well, get a flight <laughs> to Scotland, go to ASDA, get some sea salt and chardonnay crisps. They're immense. All right. Um, how, cr- how crunchy are they? And in terms of crunch from one to ten, this is ridiculous. 10 10 crunch see i bought some uh, posh what you call posh crisps and i was fucking disappointed because they weren't crunchy at all they were like chewy and oily and i'm like what is this have they gone off it was really horrible <clears throat> the last time i bought posh crisps right now talking my mouth full but oh rude <laughs> the, posh crisps, the last time i bought a posh crisps it was the same i didn't like them either they were like really greasy and slightly soggy I can't remember what brand they were. Well, we call them crisps, but I guess in America they call them chips, which is wrong. Because you don't have... Chips is what you put in a roll. I suppose you could put crisps in a roll as well. Although posh crisps are kettle chips, aren't they? 
kettle, I think it was the kettle ones <laughs> that were bad. I don't know if it was them or no, sorry, I'll, I'll take it back because in case it wasn't, I don't actually, I can't remember what brands it was that were vile, but they weren't good. Um, not that Kettle or Chris will be fucking listening to this or anything, would they? <laughs> they might be. Well, they're wanting to give us a massive sponsorship to on this. Oh, no! When they made their decision. <laughs> I don't know. I'm recommending another brand where we slag the crisps off. <laughs> well, let's move on to this first unsolved murder that I'm going to dive into. Now, I've got in all of these now from my source is from a website called The Lineup, and they've got 29 unsolved murders and well most it's got some that we all know like the the dahlia the black dahlia we're not going to go into her um but what i was just on a side thing would you think that the disappearance of shelly miscavige who is the wife of david miscavige the little goblin from uh, scientology who runs the place and is obsessed with tom cruise might even be his lover don't sue me well, that's weirdly what um, i was going to say not really weirdly. What do you think he's banging? He might have even bummed, who knows? Um, do you think that the disappearance of his wife is an unsolved murder? Well, no, because we don't know for a fact that she's been murdered, and also we know that he's the one that made her disappear. So I suspect she might be dead, but um, yeah, I think she might be dead. Nah, I think he's got her in some weird torture cupboard in his. Do you think she's hidden away in one of their gold base? Like yeah. that's the other theory that she's in gold base and she's a prisoner there and she can't escape and she's like, but do you not find it a bit odd that she's not spoken out or that? That's really fucking sinister if if that's the case. And well, no, because if they got like chained up in there, she's not gonna be able to speak out. Do you, think Tom, Cruise, do you think Tom Cruise knows? I don't think Tom Cruise cares. Yeah, he doesn't give a fuck. He only cares about Hollywood and his career. Yeah. All right, so we're gonna look at one of these murders on this website. Uh, it's called "A Killer Calls: The Unsolved Murder of Dorothy Jane Scott." Good name. And it starts off with, "When I get you alone, I will cut you up into bits so no one will ever find you." I don't think he spoke like that, but that's how I imagine it to be. The man's voice said on the phone. <laughs> So she was getting calls from this weird guy, uh, an an identified caller. Um, when when is this? Um, I don't know, 1980, okay. early 80s. So maybe late 70s, 1980s. Well, the incident occurred in 1980, so well before we were born. Not not that long before we were born. <laughs> right. So she was getting on these creepy calls. Uh, from this guy I don't know well they must I'm assuming it's a man how he got her number I don't know because he must have known her then because or unless he's looking up random names in the phone book and deciding to terrorize someone he obviously knows who she might know who he is or you could just get a random number though couldn't you like when we were younger I don't know if you remember this because this would have been (laughs) I imagine like I think we were like fourth year fifth year ago there was a guy that used to phone and ask my mom about her bra all the time she had to report him to the police. But Wait. I think that it wasn't somebody she knew. Like, it just turned out that a random guy dialed a random number and because a woman had picked up had been like... Are you saying your mum picked up? Yeah. Not to imagine. And the guy was like, what's your bra size? And mum was like, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I could do it one time. She didn't slam the phone down and she was like, sorry. Come again. Yeah, 34D. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> 
<laughs> Thanks for asking. <laughs> Why are you going to buy me a bra? <laughs> and then yeah, we'd phone and be like, "What type of bra are you wearing?" And like, oh, "What clothes okay. your bra?" And things like that. Right. And Norm had to speak to the police about it. Did they catch the guy? No, they never did. Oh, well, well, did they? So when did they call? Did they still go on after she called the police, or did he just give up and move on to someone else? Do you think? Uh, no, we changed her phone number. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, that's what you were Which doing. Again, it wasn't somebody she knew because once you changed <laughs> the phone number, it stopped. Yeah, it's not like she's like, oh, God, I miss that guy. Why is he not calling? <laughs> <laughs> she then just started phoning random numbers and being like, I'm wearing a pizza <laughs> and slamming the phone down. <laughs> Phones and random numbers going, uh, what kind of underpants are you wearing? How big's your cock? <laughs> Some, you know, it's like the ring and she gets, like, the virus. <laughs> that's, maybe that's what it was. He didn't actually want to call her and ask her what her bra size was because someone had called him previously doing the same thing. It's sort of like a viral thing. A demon like was compelling ring. him. Yeah, the demon, the, the, the panties demon, let's call Fresh them. Fresh numbers and ask them about their boobs. That was <laughs> The panties demon is a slightly more fame, Papa Lazarus. Yeah. Tell me about your bra. It's my bra now, Dave. (laughs) (laughs) So sorry, I took you off on a tangent. Although about another one saw crying because nobody knows who was asking my mom about her bra. It was probably my dad, let's be honest. Oh my god. I wouldn't be overly surprised if it was just my dad phoning her his work with holding his thumper <laughs> And then she phoned the police and he was like, oh, fuck, I can't, I can't be like it was me now. I'll just go along with it. It was his roundabout way of getting your mum to change your phone number. So, uh, Where did uh, Debbie Sue live? Um, oh, Stanton, California, somewhere around nah, there. No, that's too far. My dad definitely didn't murder her. No. So she she thought she recognised the voice, but she couldn't quite place it. Um, so early since early in 1980, Dorothy Scott, who is a single mother and she had a four year old son named Sean, she'd been receiving the threatening calls at her aunt's home in Stanton, California, where she and Sean lived. Right, so she lived where her aunt. Okay. The caller at times the caller was fawning, professing his love for her, and he made romantic overtures like what's your brass but otherwise he was uh, he was a bit of a threatening bastard and he made it clear that he was watching her and he recounted de- details of her day-to-day life one instance he yeah. told her to go outside because he had something for her right as if you would do that when she went to her car she found a single dead rose placed on the windshield oh my god how edgy <laughs> it's very emo isn't it fucking hell Obviously, they, they disturbed her, the calls, and her family, but they didn't know what to do about them. So they went on report. I mean, come on, call the police for fuck's sake. Yeah, I'm like, what do you need to know what to do about them? It's a fairly obvious course of action. Yeah, yeah like your mum did. Yeah. Um, on the night of May 28th, 1980, Scott dropped her son off with her parents in Anaheim. I don't really know where that is. Apologies. So that she, I'm guessing it's California. So she could attend a staff meeting where she worked. And during the meeting, she noticed that one of her co-workers, Conrad Bastron, sorry, it's such an American name, I had to say it like that, Conrad. He sounds like he'd be like a gigachad as well, doesn't he? Yeah, Conrad. There's absolutely no, absolutely no one over here who are called Conrad. 
Like the no. only Conrad I've ever heard of previously was in Family Guy when they said, and ladies and gentlemen, it's it's Conrad Twitty. Oh no, it's Conway. Shit, that's a different name. Conway. Is Conrad like, is that the granddad of the Hiltons? Is Paris Hilton's granddad Conrad? Yeah, actually, I think so. Maybe. That's the only Conrad I know. Okay. No, personally. I even wonder where the name Conrad originates from. It's just such an American sounding name. So she offered to take him to the hospital because Conrad didn't look well. Um, he took her up on her offer and another co-worker, <laughs> I'm so immature, her name is Pam Head. <laughs> <laughs> Accompanied them. So on the way, uh, she stopped Dorothy she stopped off at her parents' house to check on her son. And while she was there, she switched the black scarf she'd been wearing for a red one. I'm guessing this is an important detail. So when she got to the hospital, it was determined that Conrad had been bitten by a black widow spider. Wow. He was treated while Scott and Head <laughs> waited around until he was ready to go home. And according to Pam Head, Scott never left her side during the evening. When Boston was released, Dorothy Scott went out to the hospital parking lot or the, the car park, as we would say, to get her car while Pam Head and Boston waited to fill out a prescription because over there you need to pay for shit and, as well. They saw Scott's car speeding away, the headlights blinding them so they couldn't see who was behind the wheel. So she just fucked off with her headlights blazing and they didn't know whether it was her driving or not. So initially, they assumed, Boston and Pam Head, they assumed that some emergency had come up involving her son, but then they still hadn't heard from her a few hours later. They then reported her missing. At around 4.30 the following morning, her car, which was a white Toyota station wagon, was found in an alley in Santa Ana, about 10 miles from the hospital. The car had been set ablaze, but no one was inside. Hmm. So it could be a carjacking, maybe? Things like that happen in Glasgow all the time. No, not all the time. It's not like a fucking Grand Theft Auto. Every 23 minutes. There's a blazing car jacking in Glasgow. There's blazing cars outside my street right now. It's just a common occurrence. It was only a week later that Scott's mother, Vera, she received the first call. And it said, are you related to Dorothy Scott? The voice on the phone asked. So Vera said that she was. This caller simply added, I've got her. And then hung up. <laughs> it was the first such call that, that Scott's parents received, but it wouldn't be the last. So the police. I realise that you're like, oh. we'll find a way to laugh at these things. I've gotten myself already. <laughs> this is definitely not a funny story. It's just because all I can see is Papa Lazarus and the other <laughs> It's the voice. It's my wife now. It was the first such call. Right, okay. So the police are involved now. They installed a voice recorder at the residence. It's a bit late, but anyway, they were never able to track the calls. <laughs> Compensancy. As the caller never stays on the line for more than a short time, you think they would try and keep them talking. Anyway, shortly after the mysterious calls began, um, Dorothy Scott's dad approached the Santa Ana Register, asking them to run a story about his missing daughter. The story ran on uh, 12th of June, 1980. Then that same day, Pat Riley the paper's editor received an anonymous phone call from someone claiming to be Dorothy Scott's killer. Sounds a bit like Zodiac, doesn't it? Yeah. She was my love, the caller said. I caught her cheating with another man. She denied having someone else. I killed her. 
The caller provided details that hadn't been included in the newspaper story, such as the colour of Scott's scarf, there we go, and the fact that her co-worker had been treated for a black widow bite that evening. The caller also claimed that Scott had called him that night from the hospital, but Pam Head insisted that Scott had never left her side that evening. Right. As far as anyone in her life was aware, Dorothy Scott had no serious boyfriend at the time of her death, but the police believed that the man who called the Santa Ana Register was probably her killer. How? Like, probably. That doesn't confirm any. Yeah, there's no evidence. So... All of this time, Scott was still missing. It was nearly two months later, on August 6th, or 6th of August, as I would say, 1984. I was alive at that time. (laughs) I was born in May 21st, 1984, so I'd still be a baby. That construction workers would discover charred bones near Santa Ana Canyon Road. The bones included human and dog remains side by side. Hmm. What? What? So, boy, why did you burn the dog? That's fucking weird. Authorities believed that they had been there for some time as a bushfire had swept through the area in 1982 and that likely explained the charred condition of the bones. Though no cause of death was able to be established, a turquoise ring and watch were both found with the remains and the bones were identified as Scott's through dental records. Before the strange phone calls to Scott's family stopped in April of 1984, they resumed after Scott's remains were found in August. In spite of the killer's taunting calls, however, Scott's murder remains unsolved to this day. So they still don't know who did it. And they can't trace the calls of this guy or person who's calling them. I mean, you think they would change their number, but maybe they didn't want to change their number in case they got clues as to who this cunt was. I don't know. What would you do? If it's your family. Well... If you were the murderer, right, you know, the <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that's where you went. So like, don't know why that's where you went. <laughs> so, I probably just stopped phoning. Um, but then, see about these psychos that, that are killers. They want they they like to taunt their victims, or is obviously if they they want to revel in it or something. I don't know. Or they want to relive the the moment they killed them, or have some sort of sick contact with their relatives to sort of still link in with them i don't i, don't I wonder really if it's know. like three separate things mm. like there's the phone creep and they keep phoning because they like the attention and then maybe mm. she was carjacked and that's who killed her don't know why they killed her with a dog and yeah there's no other mention of the dog or why it could be there unless it just happened to be around her bones when there was a wildfire and died at the same like roughly the same bit yeah but that's a bit of too much of a coincidence. I think the dog's a crucial clue. You'd think they would look into that. That is the like standout weird thing, isn't it? The rest yeah. of it is in some way sort of explainable, even though we don't know who the killer is, but it's the dog thing that's weird. Yeah, that is weird. So, yeah, I mean, have you got any suspects? I mean, it could be her pal, Pam Head. <laughs> nah, she was it was Pam. wasn't Pam. Okay. Uh, well, still a mystery. <clears throat> yeah, that's my only feedback on it. I don't know who it was, but it wasn't bad. Okay. Well, the next one is the brutal Austin yogurt shop murders of 1991. I'm in already. Yep. It's a shame there's four girls that were killed in this incident. So, in early 1990s Austin, Texas, there was a tragic, vicious crime that shell shocked the town. Late on December 
uh, the 6th of December 1991, firefighters responded to reports of smoke rising from the I can't believe it's not yogurt shop. <laughs> oh, wait. I can't believe it's yogurt shop on West Anderson Lane. What a weird name for a shop. On Why Wes Anderson Lane? Yogurt? Not Wes Anderson Lane. <laughs> that would be cool though. No, West West Anderson Lane, not Wes Anderson Lane, but that would be funny. Once inside, the responders found a scene of unmitigated horror. Amidst the inferno were the brutalised bodies of four teenage girls, Amy Ayers, Jennifer Harbison, Sarah Harbison, and guessing their sisters, because we have the same name, uh, surname, and Eliza Thomas. At least one of the girls had been raped. Three were stacked atop each other like cardwood. I don't know what cardwood. Okay. And all had been bound with their own clothing before being shot in the head of a .22 calibre handgun. It was a murder that would appall even the most hardened homicide detective. Immediately, the public placed pressure on authorities to catch whoever was responsible. But sadly, obviously, they haven't. Unless they have now. I don't know when this was published fairly recently I'm guessing. Four suspects, all teenagers themselves at the time, were charged with the crime eight years later. Forrest Wellborn, Morris Pierce, Robert Springsteen and Michael Scott. Grand juries citing a lack of evidence declined to indict. indict. Is it indict or indict? I don't know. Wellborn. Indict? Yeah. The charges against Pierce were later dropped. Scott and Springsteen however were convicted in late 1999. The pair had confessed to the crime, saying that they committed the rape and murders while the other two stood watch. Well, why is this an unsolved crime, you may ask? Which is? Mm. Scott was sentenced to life imprisonment, and Springsteen went to one of the best known and most feared places in Texas, death row. (laughs) Fuck. So they gave him the death penalty. Cracks began appearing in the case against them, however. This centred on the fact that their confessions, which they alleged had been coerced, were very detailed too detailed for some people's liking so it might be a case of like you know the brandon dassey thing and Mm -hmm. that other guy from making a murderer i can't remember his name one of the yogurt shop cases investigators detective hector polanco was transferred off the case after allegations of his extorting similarly detailed confessions in an unrelated case see this is a thing that annoys me about some american interrogations like this that i've seen is that they seem to just want to get a confession no matter what because yes. they can't be bothered actually investigating the actual crime. Like, yeah, the job so, is to charge I mean, someone, it's not to actually find the murderer. Yeah, yeah, it seems I like it's like... pick those four guys as well. Like, what? why them? Because they're teenagers, I mean, I don't know. I know, like, but there's going to be lots of teenage guys, I would imagine, that live in that yeah. area. Why did they pick those four teenage guys? Hmm... Well, it, it, a photograph surfaced on the internet from video footage of Scott's questioning. The image came from Austin PD's own camera and it showed Detective Merrill aiming a gun at Scott's head. Well, I mean, if you're confessing <laughs> under a gun, a gunpoint. <laughs> I don't get that case. <laughs> no. <laughs> Somehow that was omitted from the court case until later on. By this point, the defendants had been sentenced to life and the death penalty and spent almost a decade in prison. That's fucked up, right? So a decade of their lives have been spent in prison and they didn't do anything. I mean, that actually scares me how many people in American prisons are actually innocent of whatever they've confessed to. Um, uh, Where are we? Okay, so the confession provided were, according to one report, stunningly detailed but decidedly false. 
the allegations against Polanco uh, contributed to having Springsteen and Scott's cases reviewed and their convictions were eventually overturned. So a number of factors making investigations especially difficult, the Austin Police Department were relatively inexperienced in handling such horrific cases and the public pressures that went with them. They also faced a plethora of false confessions, useless information and leads that went nowhere but still had to be checked. At one point, the investigation had a list of 342 potential perpetrators. <laughs> I always think that's nuts as well with these big cases that you yeah. get so many not false confessions at gunpoint by police, yeah. but like false confessions by people that couldn't possibly have been there that just go hand themselves into that? the police. Like I understand that like if you were absolutely insane and but wanted a lot of to, insane people. I mean, yeah, it's, it's that's it. It's the volume. Like, if yeah. if every like tenth case, one person did that, but it seems like whenever there's a big, high-profile case like that, there's always like eight, nine, yeah. twelve people that are like, yeah, it was me. Yeah, because they said that over fifty false confessions had to be debunked. That's so crazy. such a, a big waste of their time. Yeah. Including one from a serial killer, Kenneth McDuff. Never heard of him, but. Macduff no. was executed in 1998 on unrelated murder convictions. He made a confession on his execution day, how convenient, that he was known he was known to be active in the area at the time of the crime and to target teenagers. Even though his confession was most likely an effort to gain a stay of execution, it still had to be checked. If, however, Macduff was hoping for a stay, he didn't. They they fucking killed him anyway. So he died as scheduled. And there was a there was an execution that took place recently somewhere. It was a, uh, and he'd been on death row for like twenty years or something. Anywho, I'm glad you explained why he what? would have done that because I was like, but what would we do? Yeah. I, I thought, why why would you? Well, he was probably thinking, yeah, he was probably thinking if I say this, then we'll have to stop stop the execution and then interrogate me forever. Yeah. Probably. That's probably what he was thinking. As if that was going to help his fucking cause anyway. Like probably would have doubled the death sentence on him. I don't know if it was him. He's just buying a little time. So it wasn't until 2006 that the convictions of Scott and Springsteen were overturned because the state appealed against the ruling the pair weren't released until 2009, 10 years after they were sent to jail. Forrest Wellborn, alleged by the state to have been a lookout while Springsteen, Pierce and Scott committed the crime, remains scarred by his experience at the hands of Austin PD. Fellow suspect Morris Pierce died in December 2010 when a routine traffic stop turned deadly. What's, I suspect that the cops probably wanted to kill him in case he tried to, you know, sue them. Yeah. I, I find that very suspect. Soon after being pulled over by Officer Frank Wilson and Wilson's partner, Pierce fled the scene. Caught by Wilson, Pierce drew a knife. Oh, okay, well, there's more to it than that. And stabbed the officer in the neck. But maybe that's because he doesn't fucking trust the yeah, officer. Yeah, People will be like, oh, if you like police anywhere near you, they'll put you in jail for 10 years. And try and kill you, which they eventually did. Wilson managed to draw his sidearm and fatally shot Pierce Wilson. Oh, um... Wilson ultimately survived the stabbing. Who could say it? Fuck, here's about you. Other evidence still remains unresolved. Two unidentified men were seen entering the shop shortly before the, the, the time of the crime. According to two of our customers, both credible witnesses who stopped in for yogurt Sundays, these men arrived. Oh, but you, maybe maybe that's why they, they, it's, it was called I Can't Believe It's Yogurt, because it was like a froyo place. 
that makes sense. Yeah. I was confused because I forgot it was a Froyo case. <laughs> and when you said two credible witnesses, they stopped him for Sundays. I was like, why does it eat an ice cream make you a credible <laughs> The men arrived shortly before the shop closed and remained after the door had been locked and the shop closed. So they had a lock-in for an ice cream place. It was That's common incredible. practice to close up around 10 minutes before 11pm, unlocking the door to allow any... All right, OK, so they locked them in so that more customers couldn't come in for yoghurt. And then when they were finished, they would unlock the door and let them out. OK, fair does, fair does. It's not like you're halfway through your yogurt Sunday and they're like, right, fucking get out. <laughs> you're not like, finish that. I'm going to murder you. Yeah. <laughs> Cold case detectives currently reviewing the case have yet to identify either of the men. DNA samples discovered at the scene match neither Scott nor Springsteen were the two unidentified subjects involved. Or was it just casual customers passing through? Unless they are found, the residents of Austin will likely never know just what happened in the yogurt shop that night in 1991. I don't so think the other guys would be guilty either, though, because that wouldn't make any sense. Why would you right. order ice cream late, sit and eat your Sundays after the place is closed, be let out, go abduct four women, take them back to where you had your Sundays? Like, that it doesn't well, make any sense. I don't know sense. if we were abducted. I think they all took place in the shop. Oh, but you'd think they would have... It's a shame that maybe they didn't have security cameras in there at the time. You'd think they would. I don't know if they had that technology in... No, they would have in 1990s, surely. Surely they wouldn't need to trace those men then because the person who locked <laughs> up the shop would have been the last person in there, so... No, because it would be the girls that would have locked up the shop and they all died. Oh, they all worked in the shop. I'm stupid. Yeah. Are right. you listening? <laughs> I don't know how I missed that, but they're not really. I don't know. The the mystery about this story is that the the article doesn't really delve into how the 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 ones that they basically took in for questioning the teenagers. Is it just because they were friends, or how were they linked with the girls? Yeah, that's what. And why did they think? It doesn't say why they think. Why the cops thought that they were the. You know the killers. It doesn't say yeah. why. It just like they were basically tortured at gunpoint to the point where they confessed to their murders, but they didn't. And it doesn't tell you any of the details that they uh, uh, what supposedly said to the police about what. I mean, I find it weird that they were all stacked on top of each other like some sort yeah. of weird ritual. That's really yeah, weird. Strange. I mean, my theory is that someone just wanted to finish their ice cream and then got was like triggered and they couldn't. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why that would that would that would make you want to rape and murder four girls. And um, we know that the girls weren't papping people out for not finishing their ice cream because they let yeah. those other guys and finish their ice cream. So the rats. Yeah, well, that's tragic. Um, right, we know about that one. I'm just. Uh, did you know about the lady? Of the dunes. I think we've talked about her maybe. I don't I know. Think we have. Yeah, she was an extra in Jaws or something. Um mm, well the here's one about Edgar Edgar Allan Poe. If okay. you're one uh, he's there was a movie about him recently and he was involved, like they made out that he was some sort of detective and he helped who was the guy who was the guy? Oh, it was Christian Bale. I think it was called The Blue Eye. Something like that. I'd, re- I'd recommend it. It's you know how the fat boy from uh, Harry Potter, uh-huh. <laughs> the the bully that was his stepbrother or some shit or his cousin. Yes. Right. Well, he plays Edgar Allan Poe and he looks completely different. Like he's oh, okay. 
so he looks just like Edgar Allan Poe. It's really weird. You, I wouldn't. He's unrecognisable. He's such a good actor as well. Um, yeah, the pale blue eye, I think it's called. So I'd recommend that. It's sort of like a murder mystery. So this um, might have inspired this, but Edgar Allan Poe, uh, he re- he wrote a murder mystery novella in 1842 called The Mystery of Marie Roger. And it tells the story of, funnily enough, Marie Roger, <laughs> a, beautiful, <laughs> a beautiful young Parisian woman. Her body was found battered and bruised in the Seine River. The tale captivated audiences during its day because, save for the victim's name and the location of her death, the story was actually true. In creating his story, Poe explicitly borrowed details from the real-life slaying of Mary, Mary Cecilia Rogers, a young New Yorker known to many as the Beautiful Cigar Girl. Do you know this? The Beautiful Cigar Girl? Yeah. She no. worked in a downtown tobacco shop. No, I don't think probably, you know this. Yeah, like they rolled the tobacco leaves on her thighs and stuff. I don't know if she did that back in the 19th century, but that's traditionally how cigars are made. Unless she just sold the cigars after they were made in the tobacco shop. So she was born in 1820. She was the only daughter of a widowed boarding house owner. After Mary's father died when she was only 17, the young woman took a job at John Anderson, no relation, or he could be, for all I fucking know, because <laughs> uh, <laughs> my surname's Anderson, uh, and his tobacco shop. She soon began earning a more than common wage as she, she so easily attracted new customers to the store. So she must have been pretty hot because like, she attracted all these like men that would just come in probably to see her. You know, and sell smoking, just have a squat chatter. Aye, yeah, probably start smoking, or they might not, I don't know, buy a cigarette and then probably not bother smoking them or whatever, just so that you can <laughs> talk to her. She was so well known for her beauty, in fact, that patrons traveled to the back tobacco shop, like you said, they're solely to see the beautiful cigar girl at work behind the counter. How fucking creepy is that? So have good. you ever, have you ever made your way to a shop like miles and miles away just because someone and who worked there was quite hot? Actually, I used, I used to go in a hellfire in Glasgow because there was a pretty boy that worked in there. And eventually, there was a, a guy that was absolutely stunning that worked in the pizza hut <laughs> in the centre. No! <laughs> Me and Kaylee used to have lunch there twice a week and do Pizza Hut buffet, <laughs> even though Pizza Hut buffet's manky, just yeah. to talk to the hot guy that worked in Pizza Hut. And did you actually have a conversation with him eventually, or was it just, can I have a pizza, please? No, we went and like we didn't have a same conversation with him like ask him out or ask him anything about his life we just like went and talked to him about a name shit twice a week oh my god how i wonder how he felt about that what do you think i don't know maybe he thought we were hot as well he's like oh those those hot people that randomly come in here all the time how exciting (laughs) although probably not because he looked like he could be like a model for some sort of like gothware catalog and oh he sounds yeah he sounds like the guy that worked in hellfire that i used to always go down <laughs> eventually i started speaking to him and realized he was just a big like he, i'd have no chance because he was very gay but no, hey no. Well, maybe he was bisexual could have been he's oh, only my i can't remember his name i think it was something like daniel or no i can't remember his name but he was he was really cool i liked him a lot so yeah, we're all guilty of doing it. <laughs> <laughs> we all stalk cigar girls sometimes. Yeah. Uh, Daniel Stashower notes in his book *The Beautiful Cigar Girl*: Mary Rogers, Edgar Allan Poe, and the Invention of Murder. And 
invented. Why, why? It's a bit presumptuous saying that the Americans invented murder. I think murder's been going on for thousands of years, pal. Most <laughs> <laughs> recorded case in history. I know. The, the everyone from journalists to famed writers, Washington Irvine and James Fenimore Cooper sought out the shop, so they were all hot for this woman. One scribe was so moved by Mary's presence that he immortalised her in a poem. As Stashower puts it, Mary achieved a curious form of celebrity, becoming perhaps the first woman in New York to be famous for being talked about. So she's like a sort of Kim Kardashian, I guess. Like our That's a horrible woman. thing to say about Mary. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm one daughter in this. No, I'm just saying she's famous for being beautiful. She doesn't do anything other than work in a shop, but because she's like everyone wants to know her, she's just like one of these hot people that just become famous for being hot. You know, it's not yeah. her fault. I don't no, think she sought it. In 1841, tragedy struck. On Sunday, the uh, 25th of July, Mary told her mother and her fiance. Wow, she's got a fiance, of course she does. Daniel Payne, that she was going to visit her family in New Jersey. She would be back the next day, she said. When Mary failed to return by Monday afternoon, her mother assumed it was due to nasty weather. But when the sky darkened and Mary was nowhere to be seen, her mother obviously grew worried about her. Strangely, this wasn't the first time Mary had been reported missing. Just three years before the New York Sun reported my God, as everyone just know, wants to know everything about this woman's whereabouts in her life, they reported that Mrs. Oh, Mary Rogers had vanished. She reappeared a few days later, and many thought it was a publicity stunt by the newspapers to increase their readership. <laughs> Could be. This time, however, it was different. On Wednesday, 28th of July, unfortunately, Mary's body was found in the Hudson River oh, no. near Hoboken, New Jersey. Yeah. A group of men had spotted something strange in the river. They rolled out to it and dragged back what soon would be identified as Mary's battered body. The young woman's dress and hat were ripped and she appeared to have endured a struggle. Speculation swirled about just what had happened. Some said Mary died during a botched abortion. Oh, and her body was discarded on the Hudson. Where they <laughs> I mean, a very botched abortion if they Sorry. ripped that. Yeah, oh my god. <laughs> We're really going about it wrong. Others blamed her fiance Daniel Payne, suggesting that he did quarrel. Well, it's usually the boyfriend that does these things, isn't it? But then if she was that popular, could be any cunt. Yeah. Uh, or she could have stalkers or obsession, like people obsessed with her. You never know. Uh so they they thought that she'd fought with her fiance that ended in a quarrelous death struggle. Some others contended that she'd been caught up in gang-related violence. (laughs) With so many theories swirling, in swoops Edgar Allan Poe like a bat. (laughs) Because he's the godfather of goths. He stepped in using his technique of uh, ratiocination or ratiocination, a thought process guided by rational reasoning and deliberate inference. Poe wrote The Mystery of Marie Roger the novella features Poe's legendary protagonist, C. Auguste Dupin, or Dupin, changing just a few key details and having Marie work in a perfumery, Poe recreated the story of Mary's murder. 
publicly attempting to sort through the details alongside police detectives. What, in the form of a novel? Okay. The author hoped to process the case through his writing, unravelling its mystery and possibly revealing the truth of Mary's fate. Many consider it to be the first true crime novel, a fictional piece of writing based on real-life crime. I kind of want to read this now, do you? Yeah, it sounds really Mm. interesting. But there was no conclusive ending to the mystery of Mary Rogers' murder, either in fiction or in the real world. Less than three months after her death, Mary's fiancé went to the place where her body had been found, and guess what he did? Confessed. No. He killed himself. Oh. He left a note that read, To the world, here I am on the very spot. May God forgive me for my misspent life. Then a year later, a woman in Hoboken came forward, definitively declaring that the girl's death had been the cause of a faulty abortion. This claim, however, was never confirmed. Like again, post- that doesn't make any sense. Mm. But then again, if women were having abortions back then, it could be deadly. No, no, I get that. But given mm. like the neck of her when she was found, it doesn't make any sense. And I don't think when things like that happened back then, I get they would throw them in the river and be like, it might look like they drowned. But I don't think they would be like, <laughs> right, let's rip up her hat and her jacket and savagely beat her so it looks like she's been jumped. Like, they would just have thrown yeah. her. Mm-hmm. My theory is that her fiancé did it. My theory was creepy rando until her fiancé killed himself. And then I was like, that's mm-hmm. even more. But then he could have killed himself because of all the accusations thrown at him and that maybe he generally missed her. Maybe. I still think it was him. Yeah. I think he was jealous about all the attention she was getting and everything. Yes. And they probably had an argument. He beat her up. And then he fought for I think to go to where she died and kill himself as well. Like, that's very yeah, guilty. Like, I if you were that depressed, you'd just kill yourself where you were. You wouldn't go to where she... Or you'd kill yourself somewhere that was, like, important to both of you. You wouldn't go to where she died and kill yourself. That's mm. very much a the killer type thing to do. Yeah, I think so. Right, I'm going to get into something that's really fucking sad right now. <laughs> we'll try and have a laugh, but I don't know. <laughs> like you said, that, like, I'm going to tell him funny stories so far. Oh, fuck it. It's going to get dark, right? So these are murder victims whose names are unknown, which I find really fucking sad because nobody even knows who they are. Like, and they still don't know who killed them. So it's a complete double mystery. So in each of these unsolved cases, a killer has walked free and a murder victim went into the ground without a name. Many were children. Despite years or even decades passing since these murders, many still hold out hope that the victims will be identified and their killers found. Oh, this one's really fucking disturbing. The boy in the box. And there's a horrible picture as well. I'll send you a picture um, of it, Mark. And then That's you can... a love pictures of dead children. <laughs> boys. <laughs> I don't know whether it's an actual photograph or if it's just an illustration. I can't tell. Maybe you can help me out here and let me know. So, just, well, yeah, I'll post it on our site if you get, or you can look it up. It's called the Boy in the Box. Um, right, I've just sent it to you, Mark, and you can let me know what you think. Right, so this young boy was only between three and seven years old, so it's going to resonate with you, Mark. Uh, his naked body was found wrapped in a blanket inside the oh, cardboard box. No, I don't need to look at that. Yeah, okay, you can delete that. Then. Yeah. Uh, he was found in a cardboard I think box. That's a real picture. Do you think so? That's fucking yeah. awful, isn't it? It's horrific. Why would they put that out? Well, I suppose he needs to shock people into 
well, what else are you going to do? They don't know who the boy is. So this is probably yeah. all they've got. Uh, it was hidden in a wooden section of Philadelphia. A local trapper discovered the boy and the box in February 1957. The boy's corpse showed signs of malnutrition. His hair had been shorn and there were bruises on his body. His image appeared on the Philadelphia papers and on hundreds and thousands of flyers distributed to homes, but no identification was made. They buried him in Philadelphia under a headstone reading America's Unknown Child. So fucking sad. Do you know what makes me think happened to him? He was probably beaten up, but I think he was killed by his parents or something. You know, there's so many cases of neglected children these days. Sadly, it still happens to this day, where I think recently there was a few cases in the UK where a boy was basically just tortured by his own parents or his step-parent and starved, and this fucking social services did nothing about it. And then it's too late because he died. But at least they know who he is. That poor boy was just discarded. Yeah. Horrendous. Uh, then there's another one called Little Miss Nobody. In the summer of 1960, a local Arizona fa- family found a young girl's body partially buried in sand. Investigators said it looked like whoever buried her had made several attempts to dig a proper grave. The girl's toenails and fingernails were painted a bright red and her hair was dyed auburn. It was a local radio host who gave her the name Little Miss Nobody and began a campaign to raise funds for her burial so she would not have to go to a potter's field. I guess that means just like a pauper's. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, more than 70 people showed up for the service, which is nice. Although Little Miss Nobody's DNA was uploaded to national databases of missing persons, she's never been identified. Well, that's really fucking oh. weird. I mean, you don't know whether she's... It doesn't say whether there was any evidence of foul play there. It's just yeah. that they found her body and they don't know who she is. So... Is it's it weird that she's dyed hair as well. Well, it doesn't exactly say her, what her age is. So I'm guessing she's maybe... Maybe but a You're teenager. assuming if, that she's like a wee... If they're reporting it as like a unidentified yeah, but, you're assuming she's like a pre-teen. But she's got painted nails. I'm just assuming that that would be something a teenager would do. Or a tween, maybe, yeah. I don't know. Or was it done to her? You'd but then at that point in time, it would be unusual for like a young teenager to do that. And if they're not identifying her as a teenager, that implies she's like 12 mm. or under. So that's super weird. Then there's the Lady of the Dunes. The body of the Lady of the Dunes was found in 19... 19- oh, no, that's the, that's the Jaws thing. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to skip that one. There's Ek Lutna Annie. Discovered in 1980 in Iklutna, Anchorage, Alaska, this young woman is still unidentified. Her body was found alongside power lines. An autopsy revealed she was killed by a single stab wound to the back. Whilst we still do not know her name, we do know her killer. Oh, four years after her death, the Alaska serial killer Robert Hansen confessed to her murder, saying that Eklutna Annie was his first victim. Hansen died in 2014 while serving a life sentence for the unidentified victim and three of her murders. So you'd think that someone would want to like say that how her family or whatever was, yeah. was like a runaway or something. You know how people go to Alaska to disappear? Strange. Little yeah, Lord Scotty. Oh my god, there's so many of these. Right, there's um, Little Lord Fauntleroy in 1921. <laughs> the body of a young boy was pulled from a pond in Walkesha, Wisconsin. Police estimated he was between five and seven years old. He'd been killed by a blow to the head. The body had been in the water several months, leaving his face unrecognisable. The clothes he was wearing indicated he came from a wealthy family. 
leading to the little Lord Fauntleroy's nickname. Years later, in 1949, a medical examiner suggested the body might be that of six-year-old Homer LeMay, and he's pictured above. Um, just a wee boy, basically, with quite a good head of hair on him. <laughs> uh, he disappeared around the same time. LeMay's father claimed his son had died in a car accident in South America, but there was no proof and not enough evidence to charge LeMay's father with murder. Years after his death, a woman in a veil would regularly come to leave flowers at his grave, re- leaving locals to believe that she knew who the boy really was, or was she just one of these cunts that just wanted to be mysterious and get attention? Like the woman who always left um, a flowers at Rudolph Valentino's grave, apparently, mm. quite till quite recently, um, every year. Then there's a girl with... Weird, though, but I think in that one, it's, I yeah. imagine his dad murdered him and his mum is the one in the veil, would be my guess. Why would they not question her? That's fucking ridiculous. I would if I was a police. Girl with the peach tattoo. The body of this murdered woman was found by a hiker in a wooded section of Long Island, New York in 1997. So it's a bit more recent. It was missing both arms, both feet and its head. So she's just a torso. How the fuck did he? What? But there was one very identifiable mark, a tattoo on the left breast. It showed a heart-shaped peach with a bite taken out of it and two drops of juice. I think they would find a tattoo artist that could have yeah. done that. <clears throat> Police published a picture of the tattoo. Oh, there you go. And a tattoo artist came forward to say he remembered giving it to a young woman from the New York area. In 2016, investigators linked other skeletal remains found on Long Island to the torso with the peach tattoo. It's now believed she may be an early victim of the Long Island serial killer who also remains unidentified. What? There's So there's a serial killer that remains unidentified. On Long Island. Yeah. Mm. Not here, that's I'm looking at that. Okay, you've heard of the witch elm who put Bella in the witch elm tree? Yes. Okay, we'll skip that then. Orange socks. In 1979, a motorist spotted the body of a young woman on the side of the road in Georgetown, Texas. Police think she had been strangled only hours before her body was found. She was naked, except for a pair of orange socks on her feet. In 1982, the notorious serial killer Henry Lee Lucas confessed to her murder, claiming he had picked her up hitchhiking in Oklahoma. But the timeline raised questions. Lucas would have had to cover a lot of ground in a short time. It is known that Lucas confessed to hundreds of unsolved murder murders. I don't think he did it. I think he was just being a, a prick. Yeah. yeah. And finally, we've got the Allenstown Four. In 1985, a hunter in the Bear Brook State Park in New Hampshire found the bodies of a woman and a young girl wrapped in plastic. Makes me think of Twin Peaks immediately. Mm-hmm. I found a body wrapped in plastic. It's Laura Palmer. Inside a 50, oh, but they were found in 50, inside a 55-gallon metal drum. Fifteen years later, the bodies of two more young girls were found nearby, also in a 55-gallon metal drum. DNA showed the woman was related to at least two of the girls. Okay, that's Mm. weird. In 2017, DNA also revealed a likely suspect, Terry Pader Rasmussen, who also went by the name Robert Bob. This is so fucking weird. Why is he called Bob? This is Twin Peaks. (laughs) Bob Evans. Rasmussen died in prison in 2010, serving time for another murder. DNA showed he was the father of one of the four girls. The four young girls have not been identified, and the location of Rasmussen's previous girlfriend, Denise uh, Bedouin, or Budin, 
and her six-month-old daughter remain a mystery. What? So we just went around getting women, getting them pregnant, and then murdering them and the children after the child was born? I think so. I don't know. I don't know why I was going to say that's weird. Like, most serial killers are perfectly normal. Like, I understand that from the else, but that one's weird. Here's a picture of what they think the girls looked like. Because obviously when they found them, they were all decomposed. But the women and three girls... Yeah, so those are ones that nobody actually knows who these people are. They have no names. Um. So, yeah, that's that's sad. Uh, oh, there's 10, 10 terrifying... Right, let's end on this because I think this is going to be really interesting. 10 terrifying serial killers who have not yet been caught. Ooh. See, I wonder how many serial killers are currently out there because it must be difficult to not get caught these days because of the amount of cameras and the amount of, I don't know, social media. And it must be really difficult to me. I think that's why, I mean, I'm going to say the golden age of serial killers would be like the 1970s because it was a lot easier to go about undetected for so long. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, okay. So number one, the redhead murderer or ginger people. (laughs) Or the Bible Belt Strangler. It's a a similar thing to Bible John, maybe, or is it just because it's a Bible Belt? So where did it, where has it happened? Arkansas, Kentucky, Mississippi, Mississippi, Pennsylvania and Tennessee. When? 1978 to 1992. And how many victims? Six to 11. The redhead murders were a string of killings committed along the Bible Belt in the United States in the 1980s. All of the victims, many of whom were never identified. Ah, right. So this guy doesn't like gingers. He, he killed all the gingers, true. basically. They're all gingers. Is, is it Yasmin? No, it's not. <laughs> 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 You're too young. Uh, many of their bodies were dumped on major highways in the United States, leading investigators to believe that the victims were engaged in either hitchhiking or sex work. So he's got a fetish for gingers or he hates gingers and he likes to kill them the first murder linked to the killer occurred in 1983 near Littleton West Virginia a pair of senior citizens stumbled upon the body along one of the area's highways investigators were unable to identify the woman and furthermore couldn't pin down a suspect more victims many sporting red hair had begun to spring up in neighboring states throughout the 1980s the last known victim was elizabeth lamott his body was found in 1985 in tennessee with evidence of a stab wound and severe blunt force trauma of the presumed victims only four have been identified police interviewed two suspects in connection with the murders but the true identity of the killer was never discovered so i wonder what made them stop unless a ginger killed them i hope so <laughs> ginger revenge Genders are wonderful people and shouldn't be targeted by. Second, the Zodiac Killer, but we've already covered him. Uh, and uh, if you want to go back and listen to that episode, feel free if you're more interested in that. The Alphabet Murders, have you heard of this one? I don't think so. Mm, it rings a bell. Rochester, New York is where um, it took place and it was the years 1971 and 1973 and there was only... Th- right, I don't know. If there's three victims, does that count as a serial killer? I don't think so. No. For me, it has to be at least five or more. But then I don't make up the rules, do I? Oh, I actually have just done my own <laughs> rules there, but fuck it. I don't know. I don't I don't really think that that counts. No, it seems like too small a number, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm just going to skip him. Highway of Tears murders. Girls don't hitchhike on the highway of tears. Killer on the loose. There's an actual sign 
that's in America somewhere. Oh, that's a warning sign on Highway 16. I don't get why you would want to hitchhike, but then I have been a bit of an idiot and got in a car with strangers before because I genuinely thought they were nice. And I suppose they could have been Fred and Rose West for all I know, but I yeah. thought they were genuine. And they were because they dropped me off. Like they said, I think hitchhiking on your own as well is crazy. Like, I wasn't hitchhiking. I was limping across. The, I was limping back to the hotel because I'd fell and I'd hurt my ankle. And I was supposed to go up Ben Lomond, which is a mountain. And David's like, well, I want to climb it. And I was like, well, fuck, I can't do it. And he's like, well, I'll just go on and you go back to the hotel. So I was like, fine, I'll do that. So I started limping back. And this couple in a car spotted me and went, are you OK? Do you need a lift anywhere? And I went, I OK, my hotel's just like two minutes up there. And they dropped me off at the hotel. But then I told David about it and he was fucking raging with me. Because they could have been psychos. They could have been. I'm glad they weren't. I didn't really mean you. I mean, <laughs> okay, like, you know, <laughs> massive distances in the states. Like, yeah. why would you go on your own? I don't know. It seemed to be a trend back then. Yeah. Like they, they were a lot more trusting. But I mean, you'd think after the whole like Edward Kemper and like Bundy, then they wouldn't they would stop doing that. But. I mean, after not. watching the film The Hitcher, there's no fucking way I would hitchhike. <laughs> I mean, in that case, it's interesting because it's a man hitchhiking and he's the victim rather than women. Because you know how they tend to sexualize things and it's always women that get abducted? Yes. Yeah, by creepy men. Well, The Hitcher was obviously like Ruther Howard terrorizing a, a pretty boy, which is an interesting um, change. <laughs> <laughs> that film is amazing, honestly. It's so fucked up. So... And Highway 16, British Columbia, I think this is Canada then, uh, 1969 to the present. See, this I find sinister because it's still going on from 1969. That that guy must be really old then, unless he was really young when he started. And this is proper serial killer shit because how many victims, Mark? Guess. Uh, well, I mean, that's quite a long period of time. Yeah. So, well, 11. 16 to 40 plus. <sighs> I'm getting this. This is like sounds like I'm totally getting off on this shit, but whatever. A shocking number of young women. I'm like um, David Sauerbutz in Psychoville. I did the best. Obsessed with me serial killers. Anyway, a shocking number of young women have disappeared or been murdered along a desolate stretch of highway in British Columbia. Cases date back to 1969. And the sheer number of victims coupled with this length of time have led investigators to conclude that the highway of tears murders are the work of multiple killers. Oh, so is this like a, I always reference pop culture, is this like, um, what's the name, Jigsaw type thing? What's the name of those films? Yeah, what are they called? Saw. Saw. Is this like a saw situation where, spoilers, but the, the the jigsaw killer ends up passing his skills on to like an apprentice and then it, so they, they can carry on his work? Do you think this is the kind of case with this? Multiple killers, like copycats or something? I don't know. It's really weird. So yeah, many of the weird. victims are, ah, right, okay, many of the victims are First Nations women, which I thought there might be a link there when they said it was a trail of tears or highway of tears. So like Native American women leading locals to contend that racism played a part in the attacks as well as uh, a lack of progress made in each case so they're saying that the cops don't really care because they're Native American women and that's why they haven't actually actively found this killer um, yeah that's fucked that is rather so 
It's likely that some or even many of these women were killed by different people. It's believed that a large number of the murders can be traced to one killer. A Royal Canadian Royal Canadian Police have suspected American killer. Oh, so they're blaming it on Americans, are they? Okay. Uh, Bobby Jack Fowler is being responsible for killing anywhere from 10 to 20 of the victims. A Canadian serial killer. Cody Buddy, no, that's that. I just made that up. Cody Leg Buckoff was convicted of one of the Highway of Tears murders. Despite the progress, police do not believe they will ever solve all 40 of the murders, or maybe they just don't care. Um, um, that have occurred along the stretch of the highway. In many of the cases, too much time has passed, and others are simply not enough evidence to charge suspects. But it's still happening. So why are they? Yeah, just like acting like it's a cold case of his act. Yeah, why are they still looking? No, but why are women still hitchhiking? That's my thing. You think they do that? Yeah, that's also a fair point, actually. Unless they're not hitchhiking, unless they're just happen to be wandering, maybe they're being abducted, and that's their theory. I I don't know. It's fucking shit. Uh, There's the Freeway Phantom in Washington D.C. This seems to be a lot of black victims here. Could be a black serial killer, you never know. There have been black serial killers. Uh, what 1971 to 72, six victims. A killer began haunting northeast neighborhood of Washington, D.C. Six young black girls between the ages of 10 and 18 were murdered within a year and a half of each other. Victims were abducted while walking to the store, to school, their job or home. The killer would rape and strangle each victim before dumping the bodies along the highway. The second to last victim was found with a note. It read, this is tantamount to my insensitivity to people, especially women. I will admit the others when you catch me if you can. It was signed Freeway Phantom. <laughs> Police mm. suspected in the area gang and the string of attacks. I don't believe that. No convictions no. were made. That's just too easy to say that. Oh, it was a gang. Because probably because it's like African Americans are involved. But yeah. It also okay, seems whatever. unlikely what it was an entire gang that were just randomly abducting and raping mm. a 10-year-old. And the rest of the gang were like, I could, we're down with that because that's what gangs do. We're yeah, not and or drugs. We, we like molesting and murdering small children. Yeah, of our own race. I don't think so. No. And uh, the case files have somehow been lost, making solving the case nearly impossible today. I suspect racism, like because it's black girls, they don't really give a shit. I bet it was a police officer. Oh, it might be, and it could well be. Could well be. Uh, Long Island serial killer. Oh, that's the one we mentioned earlier. Jesus Christ! Don't go to Long Island, New York. 1996 to 2010, or possibly up to 2013, how many? 10 to 16 victims. The Long Island serial killer, also known as Lisk, and the Craigslist Ripper, killed at least 10 women and dumped their bodies along the Ocean Parkway in Long Island through the late 90s and 2000s. Many of the women targeted by the Long Island, I'll just say uh, Lisk, killer were sex workers who advertised their services on Craigslist. I thought they caught the Craigslist killer. Maybe not. Maybe Authorities, it's I could be. Or maybe it's the same one and I'm just getting confused. Authorities believe the killer contacted these women on Craigslist, arranged a meet-up, then raped and murdered each victim. I wonder if there's like serial killers on, you know, like um, what's that other online dating thing where you swipe left and stuff? Uh, Tinder. Tinder? 
Tinder killer? Is there not a Tinder killer? I'm sure there was one. There was an Australian killer. girl who met a guy on Tinder. No, she was British and she met a guy in Tinder on Australia and he choked her to death while having God. sex. I'm sure that happened. So, yeah, I mean, it would be a, a kind of playground for serial killers to find victims on these dating online dating sites. John, uh, before, sorry, authorities believe the killer contacted, oh, I've done that right, arranged a meet-up, then raped and murdered each victim. John Bitrolf, convicted of the murder of two sex workers in the early 1990s, is a suspect in at least one of the Lisk killings. Another notable suspect was James Burke. Burke is a former police chief of Suffolk County. What? And he previously hired one of the victims. During the course of the investigation, it was revealed that Burke had, during his time as a police chief, obstructed an FBI probe into the Long Island serial killer case. He was a convicted of obstruction and the assault of a man who stole personal items from his vehicle. Burke has never been charged in connection with the actual killings, but he pled guilty to conspiracy to obstruct justice in February 2016 and released from jail in 2018. Nah, I, I think that's him. more than a wee bit suspicious, isn't it? I don't think it's him, no. I think he's just a corrupt cop. But why would he obstruct things? Yeah. That's weird. Unless he knows who it is. I don't think it's him, though. It could be. I think it is. If, he was, <laughs> if he'd been having mm-hmm. had sex with one of the sex workers that was killed before. And he could have. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like, cops aren't immune to being serial killers. If anything, there, there may be several cops. Like, a, a good opportunity to kill people and cover up their crimes at the same time, you know? If you're somebody that thinks you'd make a good police officer, then you're probably more likely to be sociopathic, which... You think? Do you not think that cops should be a bit more empathetic? No. I think cops should be a bit more empathetic, but I don't think oh. people think I'll be a good police officer are empathetic. Um, are you talking about like American cops or do you think over here as well? Like, police are a bit... Well, actually, we do have um, a policeman who was convicted of a woman's murder recently. Yeah. So that's fucked up. And there was, being, there was cops over here that were sacked over, like, taking pictures of a fucking murder victim and then sharing them on WhatsApp or something or taking the piss. Like, that's horrific. So, yeah, yeah. We, we have shit cops over here as well. Number seven, the Colonial Parkway Killer. It happened in Virginia between 1986 and 1989, and there was eight victims. In the late 1980s, Virginian couples were targeted and attacked by a killer along the Colonial Parkway. Three couples were found dead. A fourth couple's body were never found, although their car and some of their clothing were discovered. The fourth couple is presumed dead. The three couples and all four cars were found along the Colonial Parkway, usually only a few days after they went missing. In all cases, there were no signs of attempted robbery or sexual assault. A few theories about the killer have been proposed, including that the perpetrator was, again, a police officer or posed as one to mislead the victims. A retired uh, Milwaukee detective, Steve Spingola, believes that the killings were committed by different killers, while a family member of one of the victims is suspicious of Spingola's conclusion and asserts that he merely sought to profit from covering the case. The murders remain under investigation to this day. What if it was vampires, Mark? (laughs) 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 Could be. If Um, it was vampires and they're listening, I'd like them to come turn us. Yeah, please, but in a good way, not in a horrific way. <laughs> Either or, as long as I'm a vampire at the end, it's fine. 
and we're we're yeah we're hot vampires that would be good thanks yeah Yeah. come and get us (laughs) oh i wonder if they will like see if they come to you first i'll be raging um (laughs) servant girl and i well if you if they they, they make you into a vampire you have to come and make me one of course i will right that's a pack then there we go servant girl annihilator that sounds badass that's horrible though if the servant girl annihilator was a servant girl who went around killing posh men then that, that would be, would be badass. Badass. i'm imagining it's a posh man going around killing servant girls yeah i mean i read it as the servant girl was the annihilator herself like like you thought there but i guess yeah you're probably right unfortunately well this took place in austin texas and servant girl's a bit of a clue because you don't really get servant girls in the modern age do you um unless you're part of some fetish club uh this took place in the 19th century where there would be servant girls 1884 to 1885 oh wouldn't that be a great movie if there was a servant girl annihilator in the 19th century going around killing them like rich guys yeah we should make it so there was eight victims in the late 1800s austin fell prey to the crazed murderer with an axe the servant girl <laughs> seven women and one man were killed by the servant girl annihilator i mean could be a woman still killing other servant girls you never know well six more women and two more men i mean there's men that are brutally attacked as well the killer would attack in the dead of night they dragged most of their victims outside before brutalizing them with an axe the killer tore across austin for just under a year then just like that the attack ceased in an 1885 article, <laughs> I don't know, because you took a girlfriend just like that, and I obviously haven't watched the um, Sex in the City. Sex in the City. I'm imagining that that's what it's about. It's Carrie Bradshaw. The Sex in the City girls have travelled back in time to solve a crime. <laughs> <laughs> and just like that. <laughs> and then I married the servant girl annihilator. The sex was great. It's Carrie Bradshaw looking out a window and saying, back here in this time, I had to ask myself, who was it that was killing all these women? And could I really pull off this shawl? (laughs) (laughs) The lack of shoe shops in this town disturbed her. An 1885 article in the New York Times claimed, well, it is New York, there you go, claimed that upwards of 400 men were interrogated in connection with the attacks, yet no one were ever charged. Numerous suspects have surfaced in the years since. One familiar name on the suspect list, Jack the Ripper. In her book, Jack the Ripper, The American Connection, author Shirley Harrison asserts that Jack the Ripper honed his brutal craft in America before initiating his reign of terror in London's Whitechapel neighbourhoods. Hmm. But I don't know whether... No, it would make more sense if yeah. it the other way. Yeah, I'd say so. Because Yeah, but why would he go from, like, surgical madness to just hitting them with an axe? It doesn't seem True. that... Then there's Bible John. We've already covered him. That's our own Glaswegian. I thought you meant Bible John was another suspect. How old did they think he was? No, because he was cutting about Glasgow between 1968 and 1969, so that would have made him like over 100 years old if that was the case. That was why I was confused. Yeah. Then we've got the Cleveland, right, final one, and I'll end the podcast on this. We've got the Cleveland torso murderer. Um, Why is there like a picture here of some heads and what looks like a glass frame uh, in a museum? What? the fuck is this all about i don't know 
anyway, Cleveland, it took place in, funny enough, Cleveland, Ohio, and it took place in the years 1945 to 1948, and there were 12 to 20 victims, so that's proper serial killer shit. The Cleveland Torso Murderer, also known as the Mad Butcher of Kingsbury Run, was a Great Depression <laughs> eater serial killer who terrorised Cleveland, Ohio, between 1945 and 48. The killer beheaded and dismembered multiple male and female victims. I like that he doesn't discriminate on sex. Often dumping their bodies like that's a social justice warrior. <laughs> like, at least he's diverse. Fuck's sake. He's a fucking serial killer. And I'm like going, well, at least he's not discriminating people. <laughs> at least he's not just killing ginger people, you know? That's true. Um, uh, <laughs> so he was he often dubbed their bodies in the impoverished Cleveland neighborhood known as Kingsbury Run. The official number of victims attributed to the Cleveland torso murderer is 12. Although some researchers suggest the total body count may be as high as 20. He preyed upon drifters and the working poor living in makeshift homes. Well, it was the Depression era, I suppose there'd be a lot of like poor homeless people about then, easy victims. Uh, as a result, many of the torso murders victims remain unidentified. The first confirmed torso murder victims were discovered on September 23rd, 1935. They were Edward Andrassy and an unidentified male. Andrassy's body was found some 40 feet away from the remains of the unidentified male. Oh, listen to this. Both were castrated with oh. their heads missing. The heads were eventually recovered. So he didn't keep them as trophies. <laughs> but Maybe. did he keep their penises as trophies? That's what I was going to say. Yeah, did he put their dicks in jars? This is really weird. So more Cresley slains of mutilation followed suit. A number of the bodies were discovered long after the killings had occurred, further complicating efforts to track down and stop the murderer. Authorities suspected Dr. a doctor, Dr. Francis E. Sweeney, I mean, that sounds sinister enough as it is, of being the culprit, but they didn't have enough evidence to convict him. Another man, Cleveland resident Frank uh, Dolezal was arrested on August 39 as a suspect in the slaying of torso victim Florence Polilio, only to die under mysterious circumstances while in police custody. In 2010, which is like way in the future, researchers from Cuyahoga Community College released evidence that cleared Dolezal's name. So to this day, the Cleveland torso murderer case remains unsolved. And I suspect that unless he's a vampire, he's fucking dead at this I point. I would imagine so. Yeah, so they're never going to know. I wonder, imagine if you were in Cleveland, right, and you were doing some metal detecting or some shit, and you were digging up a hole where you think you found a penny, and you find a box, and in that box were like 20 dicks in a jar. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, <laughs> I just think there's some dicks in a jar buried somewhere in Cleveland because he must have taken trophies and preserved them. That's what I imagine that he did or or she. You don't know the sex of this person. It's probably a man, let's face it. It'll be a man. Yeah. Anyway, we're coming up to an hour and a half. So did you enjoy that, Mark? I did enjoy that. It was very interesting. Yeah. Slash and there's terrifying. there's so many more unsolved murders that we could talk about. So again, we could bring this topic up again once in the future or something now and then, because everyone likes a true crime podcast sometimes. Agreed. 
Yeah. Um, or we could be vampires by then. Who knows? <laughs> we can still keep doing the podcast if we're vampires. Yeah, that's true. I mean, there's nothing for longer. Mm, true. Right. Well, what's our topic for next week? I don't know. <laughs> well, let's find out. Uh, okay. Two seconds. I'll get the list. 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 Yeah. list. The list to end all lists. <laughs> Pick a number between one and thirty, maybe. Is this the right list? I think it is. I'm going to go with 27. Okay. (laughs) Now, this is one of the ones where I've written several question marks next to it, which means that either you suggested it and I didn't know what you were on about, or Yaz suggested it at some point in time and I didn't know what she was on about. Myths to do with ears and hearing. Well, we did one on eyes, so Maybe why not ears? Okay, so okay. Do ears and hearing. That's a very obscure one, but I'm sure it'll um, we'll come up with some interesting results. Agreed. I quite like when we do a weird one. Yeah. Okay, so ears and hearing. Right, cool. I'm sure there's plenty of myths about that. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. And if um, any of you guys out there might know who the killers are, call your local police station. Or, you know, I'm sure there's, I don't know, probably the ones for like the Cleveland torso killer is probably going to be a difficult one. And the servant annihilator is going to be one difficult to like solve. But the Long Island serial killer is still out there somewhere, I suspect. So hopefully. So if he's your da, tell the police. Or are you the serial? No, no, you're not going to turn yourself in. Don't come after us. Well, I don't think there's any serial killers in East Kilbride, as far as I know, apart from the maybe the EK Monkey Man might have killed some people. He might have. Might have, yeah. Um, apart from that, I'm just going to say bye. 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 You're my wife now. <laughs> <laughs>